The following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Hope everyone got what you wanted for Christmas. Uh, You know, I usually have a hard time uh, finding good Christmas gifts, but this year I found the perfect gift, and it was so good I bought eight of them, and I gave them to eight different people, including myself. And it's a little product. It's, it's called a tile. And you latch it onto your keychain, and after you download an app onto your phone, it actually helps you uh, locate your keys, you know, if you lose them. So, um, oh, it's, it's in my pocket. So it's this little white thing here. And, and the funny thing is, you know, actually, if you lose your, um, your phone, you can actually press this. And it, uh, I don't get a commission for selling these, by the way. It's just... But I wanted to share this, this little gift because, you know, actually, it comes in really handy. Uh, whenever I lose my keys, I always ask my life, wife, you know, where did, did you find my keys? Do you know where my keys are? And she always asks me, like, well, do you remember where you left it last? And I was like, well, if I remember where I left it last, then I wouldn't have lost it, right? But uh, we, I gave away one of these at our, um, our um, white elephant Christmas uh, party, and uh, it was a pretty hot item. It got stolen multiple times. And uh, apparently, I'm not the only one with a memory problem. The truth is, we all have memory problems. You know, God, in creating us in his image, has blessed us, I think, with incredible minds, this amazing power in our brains. And yet, we're still woefully forgetful creatures. We're still prone to not remember the things in life that matter the most. And as we're approaching the end of the year here, I think this is a time where typically, you know, we we get nostalgic and we, we remember um, the past 12 months, we pause and we reflect. And I think it's an important ritual to do that because it's from this time, I think, of sober self-reflection that many of us build our, our commitments for the new year. And this morning, I want to look at a passage in Joshua chapter 4. The message is entitled, Remember. And in the text, I believe it reveals our propensity to forget and God's passion for us to Remember. So if you'll turn with me, Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. Please read along with me. I'll have up in the slides as well. It says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there, And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests 
bearing the Ark of the Covenant, had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. We'll jump to verse 19 here. It says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your, gra- for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you, until you passed over, as the Lord your God did, to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Amen. Um, Just to provide some context here, the people had come up uh, to the River Jordan, And they're about to enter the promised land, finally. And I think it's important to remember, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, this group was basically an entirely new generation. Most of them had not witnessed the crossing of the Red Sea, and their parents had forfeited their rights to enter into the promised land because, if you recall, 40 years earlier, they shrank in fear when they were given a report of giants in the land. And even though the Lord had promised this land to them, they were fearful And you have to wonder what this generation was thinking as they're crossing the Jordan. Their whole lives, they had grown up hearing stories of how God had miraculously guided their parents, their grandparents across the Red Sea. It was the most defining moment of redemption in Israel's history. Freedom from the oppression and the bondage of Egypt. And God was giving these now-grown children their own moment. But this time it wasn't the crossing of a sea, it was the crossing of a river. And what does it tell us that God wanted them to remember? It says he wanted them to remember, in verse 7, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. He wanted them to remember that. And God was faithful. And unlike their parents who also surveyed the promised land before them, God didn't want them to forget. This is what he wanted them to remember. But how did he want them to go about remembering? Why were they to remember? Who were they not to forget? Uh, For the remainder of this message, I want to break it into really three parts. Look first at how we are to remember, why we are to remember, and who we are to remember. Uh, First, how we remember. You know, I think it, it takes a certain degree of discipline to remember the important things in life. Because... The truth is, you know, we tend to forget. We forget the things that we should remember, and, and you know what? We, we tend to remember the things that we should forget. And when someone makes an insensitive comment to us or about us, we hold it within us. We can't let it go. They keep us up at night. And yet the things that are of the highest importance, the things that are um, of eternal value, we're so prone to forget. In C.S. Lewis's novel, The Screwtape Letters, we as the reader are made privy to a series of letters from a senior demon named Screwtape. And he's writing to a nephew, his nephew, a junior demon, whose name is Wormwood. 
obviously this is, this is a fictional account. But through this creative context, Lewis provides, I think, a very interesting insights about the spiritual world. Um, and keep in mind, as I'm reading this, this letter is from the perspective of screw tape. So when it uses the word enemy, it's speaking of someone good, right? God. And when he uses the word father, he's speaking of, of Satan. So let me read this, this text for you. This is screw tape speaking again or writing. I once had a patient, a sound atheist who used to read in the Metropolitan Library. One day as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind begin to go the wrong way. The enemy, of course, was at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years of work beginning to totter. If I had lost my head and begun to attempt a defense by argument, I should have been undone, but I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested that it was just about time he had some lunch. The enemy presumably made the counter-suggestion that this was more important than lunch. At least I think that must have been his line, for when I said quite, in fact much too important to tackle at the end of a morning, the patient brightened up considerably, and by that time I had added, much better come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind. He was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and the number 73 bus going past, and before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had got into him an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. He is now safe in our father's house. It's pretty chilling, isn't it? It's no accident, I think, that in the opening chapter, Lewis makes a point of recognizing that in the spiritual realm, there's a constant battle going on. There's a constant battle, and it begins in the mind, and it should be finished in the heart. And yet so often, it never even makes its way down there because so quickly forgotten by the noise, the distractions, the busyness of life. And it makes me wonder... How many spiritual awakenings never occur? And how much spiritual growth is stunted simply because we choose not to recognize or remember God's grace or God's presence in our daily lives? You know, now more than ever, I think there are so many competing interests for our minds, so many voices in our culture, so many options for instant entertainment. There's streaming movies, social media, smartphones. They've all robbed us of meaningful moments of spiritual reflection and quiet solitude. Sacred moments when we allow God to speak into our lives and remember his goodness. It's so important, I think, to, to, to build a discipline of remembering because we forget. We forget. And yet that is exactly what God calls his people to do. He calls us to remember. In Deuteronomy 5.15 says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And you have to recall, in the book of Deuteronomy, this is basically Moses' last sermon to the second generation of Israelites. And 15 times in the book of Deuteronomy, we see this word over and over again, remember, remember, remember. This is by far more use of this word than any other of the books of Moses. And even before Joshua takes the lead, Moses is charging them to remember. 
know, they were only a couple miles away from Jericho. They could see it in their sights. It was ripe for the taking. And in Joshua 2, a couple chapters earlier, we realized the whole city is already trembling. Right? They're trembling in fear. But before they begin their mission, God wants them to do something more important. More important than taking the land. He wants them to stop, to pause, and to reflect, and to build something that would not let them forget. He tells Joshua to find a representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're to build a memorial, just a simple edifice of 12 stones. Nothing ornate, nothing fancy, but very meaningful. Uh, this past September, Kim and I and, and our kids made a trip out to Mackinac Island. It's in Upper Michigan, and, and I don't know if any of you have ever been there before. It's a beautiful place. But one morning, we took a bike ride around the island, and one of the first things you'll notice when you're biking along the perimeter of the island, the shores, there's all these little rock formations. And when you see them, you're like, this, this obviously didn't happen by accident. It's not like the wind blew these rocks together, right? You know, someone took the time to stop where they were, and they put in the blood and the sweat and the tears to build it, right? And I was so intrigued by this, I did some research afterwards, and I pulled up this website on on Mackinac, and, it, and it's, these are actually called rock cairns. I didn't know, I didn't know what that word was, cairns. But a rock cairn is a small mound of stones and pebbles built to mark biking and hiking trails as a memorial to having been somewhere, right? And they can be found all over the world, from alpine regions to barren desert and tundra, as well as coastlines. And it just made me think, you know, these people stopped. They wanted to stop and remember, and they wanted to build something to help them remember, and this is what we need to do, I think, to, to remember. It's not just, I don't know, Dr. Steve has a great memory. I don't think he needs the same amount of discipline as I do. But I need a lot of discipline in my life to remember things. And this act of remembering helps us not to forget. There's really nothing profound about that. But this act of remembering helps us not to forget. And all throughout Scripture, we see God instructing his people, right, to set aside days and weeks, to celebrate, to honor, to remember. And these occasions, they're not just purely spiritual exercises, right? God is, uses the physical world to remind us of some profound spiritual truths. He takes what is seen to help us reflect upon what is unseen. He uses something that's tangible and temporal, and he's pointing us to something that's invisible, that's eternal. You know, for example, even to this day, as a part of the Passover observance, Jewish people, they eat bitter herbs to remind them of their 400 years of bitter enslavement to Egypt that their ancestors endured, right? This was a very specific instruction from the Lord that the taste of the bitterness in their mouth would be a reminder of the bitterness of their enslavement. And, you know, God knows that his people are not just fickle. We're forgetful. We're forgetful. And so in his mercy, he's constantly reminding his people who he is, what he has done, where is their destiny? And this is the goodness of God. But on our part, it requires discipline to remember. What are we doing to remember God's faithfulness in our lives? Are we taking the time out in solitude to reflect and to remember? Do we put up our own physical reminders to protect ourselves, knowing that we may very well forget? Uh, you know, there are times um, when I've taken my family on bike trips and I'll put the bikes on top of the minivan. And I remember the first time I did this, 
I drag my garbage can, I put it like right inside the door of the garage where I usually park. And, my, and Kim was like, why are you doing that? And I was like, because I know I'm going to forget. I know I'm going to, when we get back from the trip, I'm going to forget the bikes are on top of the car. I'm going to drive right into the garage and ruin my house and my bikes. Because I know in my mind, I'm prone to forget. And yet, that's how it is. I think as, as even spiritual believers, you know, what kind of proactive measures do we take knowing that we will forget? We will forget. Sometimes we need a physical minor right in front of our face. Now, I was so encouraged a few weeks ago in uh, our community group. One of the men shared that he, he just had this um, conviction to start journaling. And so he's asking questions about how do you journal, what do you journal about. And he'd never done it in his life. And I thought, you know, what a great way to, to physically discipline yourself to remember, to remember God, to see his hand in, in your journey of faith. There's something so ordinary and mundane about building a pile of rocks, right? A child can do it. And yet it serves such a deep and meaningful purpose, just as it did for the Israelites. Learning how to remember takes time, focus, energy, attention, intention. But this is how we remember. This is how we remember. But why are we to remember? Why are we to remember? Remembering helps us practice gratitude. Remembering helps us to practice gratitude. Um, The truth is we all remember something, but we have a choice. We get to choose what we remember. And what we choose to remember can make all the difference in the world about our attitude, about our outlook, about our perspective, about our faith. You know, in Numbers 11, as the Israelites are wandering in the desert, um, they've been eating manna for a while now, and they're getting quite tired of this all-carb diet. And it says this, it says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that caused nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. It's amazing how quickly God's people had forgotten about the horrible oppression of the Egyptians. 400-plus years of back-breaking work, making bricks without straw in the hot desert sun, being whipped as slaves, treated like dirt. And instead of remembering that, they choose to remember Egypt as like, oh, this is like free old country buffet. You could eat whatever you wanted, right? They chose to remember it was false, and their hearts were filled with this ingratitude. Um, I don't follow Kanye West's Twitter account, but I came across an article yesterday, actually, from the New York Times. It was called uh, The Micro-Complaint, Nothing Too Small to Whine About. And it shares of a moment in 2010 when Kanye posted on Twitter, I specifically ordered Persian rugs with cherub imagery. What do I have to do to get a simple Persian rug with cherub imagery? Ugh. And he took it down, I think, shortly thereafter. He's taking some heat for it. Um, but the truth is, I mean, 15 years ago, nobody knew who Kanye West was. I don't think he had much money. He, he certainly didn't have any fame. And now he's complaining to the world very openly. Someone screwed up his Persian rug order. There's no gratitude. There's no humility in his heart because he, I, I think he'd forgotten where he'd come from. You know, prior to joining the staff here, I spent almost 20 years working in the corporate world. And I remember when I, when I started my first job out of college, I, I wasn't making very much money. Um, 
And as my career advanced, I began to make far more money than I ever even thought I would. And it wasn't really noticeable at first, but I began to see how it began to change me from the inside. And in some ways, I thought I was better than people who made less money than money or had less money than me. And it began to infect me with this sense of importance, this sense of entitlement. It was so subtle, and yet I couldn't deny that it wasn't there. I remember a couple years ago, I, I had a job in St. Louis. This is where I grew up, and I stayed at a hotel downtown, and it was right next to the building where I had my first job. And this was, you know, obviously 15 years later. And I was just overwhelmed. I was laying on my hotel room bed, and I was just all of a sudden overwhelmed with this sense of gratitude because all of a sudden I just remembered, looking outside my window, that there's my old office building and how far God had taken me and how much he had given me and how much I had taken for granted. And just that simple act of remembering was such a blessing. I saw this not too long ago, and it just really struck me, this quote. It said, I learned to give not because I have many, but because I know exactly how it feels to have nothing. I learned to give not because I have many, but because I know exactly how it feels to have nothing. The greatest measure of your gratitude is found in your giving. Your motivation will never come from having much or having more, but it will come from remembering a time when you had so little. And so remembering helps us to practice gratitude. Secondly, remembering helps us to press on in faith. It helps us to press on in faith. The journey of faith is not a perpetual arrow pointed up. There are seasons of sun, there are seasons of rain, there are seasons of drought. There are mountain peaks full of light and life, and there are valleys where all you see is shadows of of death. And so when we remember things before the test, it actually prepares us for the test. You know, you go and you, you, I mean, I've had a lot of schooling over the years. I've taken so many exams, I can't even count them. I remember so many times studying for exams and thinking, why am I doing this? Like, what's the point? And you realize, you know, when you're out of school that it's not really about that test, you know, that exam that you take in class. You know, the discipline of remembering is that, or the theory, right, is that you'll remember that content eventually in the future when it will help you in your job. And so... Exams themselves is not just a rite of passage, right? Or so we can pass an exam. It's supposed to prepare us for a future when we may need that information in our jobs, in our future, in our careers. And in verse 9, it says, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. Now, I think it's easy to miss this, and there's actually some debate among scholars about this, but I believe that there are actually two sets of memorial stones built. One on dry land in Gilgal, which would be the base of their future operations as they you know, forayed into the promised land. And the other was built in the riverbed. It was where the priest stood, in the river. It would soon after be covered with water. And it's kind of odd, right, to, to build a memorial in the river, knowing that the water was going to soon be covering it all up. Why would you build a memorial that cannot be seen? But if you think about it, it would be seen that it would only be seen in seasons of drought. And isn't that when we needed to be reminded of God's faithfulness in our lives? We're in a dry season, when the waters are starting to sink. And as it's sinking, you begin to see again another reminder of God's faithfulness. 
So when times got bad and the waters of the Jordan receded, God was himself reminding them of his faithfulness to them. You know, um, a few months ago, um, Kim had all the teachers get together in the ministry center, and, and she asked them all, all the teachers to, to um, share their testimony, but to do it in the form of, of writing out, drawing a graph of their life from beginning to now, and just diagramming their spiritual journey, the ups and downs. And it was really just a profound time of sharing, I think, for everyone. And she came back, and she was just sharing some of the testimonies, and some of you were in that room, and it was such a powerful experience, I think, because uh, I think probably for many of the people in that room, you know, I don't know how long it had been, but just to sit down and to reflect upon your own spiritual journey, upon God's hand in your life, and to share that with others, and to see the ups and downs, and to see God's uh, provision and providence through it all, um, it was such an emotional experience even. And yet, it's remembering on these things that help us press on in faith, Thirdly, remembering helps us to pass on our faith. It helps us to pass on our faith. In verse 21, it said to the people, when you, your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. And so God designed the family unit not just to procreate the earth, but to pass down faith. Generation upon generation. This is really the calling of, of fathers and mothers. What are we doing as the head of our households to pass down our faith to the next generation? Are we praying with them? Are we praying for them? Are we raising them up in the Lord? Are we giving them a physical reminder of the gospel, just even in the way that we model our life and the way we live with them? And we're to remember within the context of our family, what it means to pass down faith. But I think this also applies in the context of our community. And I think this is why God has each of the 12 tribes place a stone. Each of them. They were all there that day. They all witnessed what God had done. This wasn't a job that was just relegated to the Levites, the priests. They were all to remind one another from that day forward. And remembering helps us to pass on our faith. Fourthly, remembering helps us to bring glory to God. And this is what happens when we help each other remember. Joshua 4, 23 and 24 said, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. And it says, Why? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It's about giving God the glory through the proclamation and remembering his work in your life. And when we remember him, we're proclaiming him to a watching world. And I think this is what it means to be a witness. It's not just sharing the gospel. It's not just going through an outline. It's not just going through the four spiritual laws. Being a witness means remembering Sharing, declaring what God has done for you, what God has done in you. You know, when I was um, about six or seven years old, one evening, I have three sisters. I'm the second oldest. And my younger sister, two younger sisters, one of them is only 11 months younger than me, 
Um, it was just the two of us this one night. My mom had taken my older sister and the baby, my baby sister out to piano lessons. My dad was working late. We were latchkey kids. Um, and we were home. I remember watching The Muppet Show. And I remember we were just laughing, you know, and giggling, me and my sister. This was like freedom for us, unfettered watching of TV. <laughs> and I remember as we were watching the show, we started to smell smoke. And, and I was like, what's that smell? And so I, I walked over, and I could smell it. was coming from the basement door. And so I, um, I opened the basement door, and all of a sudden, I just become overwhelmed with, like, all this smoke. It's just this gust of smoke. And I realized there's a fire in the basement of my house. And it's just me and my sister. And I'm, like, six years old. And I started panicking. I'm like, what do I do? And I don't know what to do. And so I was, the only thing I remember to do is, was to call for help. And so I was too short to reach the phone, so I remember dragging a kitchen chair over to the wall, getting on the chair, and picking up the phone. And in that moment, I was like, i got to call the emergency. i got to call for help. And so I picked up the phone. I dialed those three numbers, 119. <laughs> and there was nothing. Nothing happened. And I hung up the phone. I called the guy. I pressed harder, 119. Nothing. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to burn to death because I can't remember the number. <laughs> and then I remembered something came to me. Maybe it was the Lord. But he gave me another number. He said zero. <laughs> and so I remember I dialed zero. And I got the operator. And I told the operator about this fire in my house. And then they sent the fire department. And thank God my both of my parents got home before they got there. Otherwise, I'd probably be raised an orphan or something. But I remember, I couldn't remember the one, 911. I'm not dyslexic, by the way. I just couldn't remember it. But I could remember zero. I could remember zero. And the point is, even when I couldn't remember where to find help, I remembered someone who could. I remembered someone who could. And I think this is why it's so important to live in a community of rememberers, of rememberers. When we cannot remember for ourselves, we need to surround ourselves in a community with brothers and sisters who are willing to come alongside us and to remind us of the things that we've forgotten. I want to show you a five-minute video about two women um, named Gladys Wilson and Naomi Fail. Gladys is a woman, she's done um, really wonderful research and work on, on Alzheimer's disease. And Naomi is an 87-year-old black woman who's suffering from this horrible disease. And as you watch the video, I want you to think about how we as a church might go about calling one another to remembrance in this beloved community. And I want you to take note of the tender love, the remarkable patience of this woman as she ministers to another. When people are very old and deteriorated and no one enters their world and they're just sitting there, they will withdraw inward more and more. And their desperate need for, for connection is all now inside. And if a person is all alone, even if they're very, very deteriorated, there's a longing 
for this kind of closeness. Mrs. Wilson, hello. You want me to sit? Can you see me good? Gladys Wilson is a wonderful example of a person who is in the phase of repetitive motion where people use movements, repetitive movements, because they don't have any more speech or very little speech, but they have human needs that need to be expressed. You cry. You cry and you have a tear right here in your face. You have a little pain, you want me to touch you. You're very sad. Can you see me? Is it scary? You afraid? And if this person sits with their eyes closed, rocking back and forth, and maybe there's a tear coming down, there's a need there. Here. There's a little tear that's coming out. Do you feel it? You feel a little tear? If you gently use touch, and I touched Gladys Wilson for the fingertips right here on the cheek is where the mother usually touches a child. If you touch an infant there, it looks up, and every cell remembers where it was touched by the mother. And often that person knows, even if they can't say a word at that moment, they won't talk, but, or they don't want to talk, but there's, there's a communication. And that person is no longer alone. Can you let me in a little bit, you think? Just a little? You think I could be with you and Jesus for a minute? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I used music, because when speech is gone, Music, especially with Gladys Wilson, it was religious music because there's emotion tied to it and safety tied to it. So I used her old church song. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What I did was, when she moved, I moved with her. And when I was singing, because she didn't sing with me, so I matched the intensity of my voice to the intensity of her movement. And pretty soon, for a split second, we became one person. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So at one point, when she got very quiet and very peaceful, and my voice became very quiet as hers and very peaceful and my breathing slowed to her breathing. She pulled me to her and I moved with her. And for her at that moment, I believe I was a symbol of, of her mom. Can you open your eyes now? Do you see me? Feel safe and warm? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world.
He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the mothers and the fathers. He's got the mothers and the fathers in his hand. He's got the mothers and the fathers in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. The breakthrough doesn't happen every time. The person will not always look their open their eyes and look at you. But if you keep trying and you send, keep centering yourself and uh, really look at that person and really mirror their movements. Maybe not this time, but the next time you come, you'll have a communication. You feel safe? You feel safe? Yeah. With Jesus? Yeah. And me? That's powerful, isn't it? What does it mean to live in community? to help one another remember the things that matter, to recall the things that are hidden deep within our souls, to mine out those things that few people are willing to do the work of mining out. This kind of community requires a persistent and a patient love, a love that is willing to remind others that Jesus loves me, to remind us that God is God, to remind us that he's sovereign, he has the whole world in his hands. And you know, my, prayer, my prayer is that we become that kind of community, a community of rememberers who help others remember with a quiet whisper, with listening eyes, with a gentle touch. <clears throat> Lastly, I want to close out the message um, with who we remember. You know, the Stone Memorial was just a small physical reminder but it was a reminder of a, of a great spiritual reality that God was with them, that God was for them. And in the opening of the message, you know, I said, God wanted them to specifically remember that, as it says in verse 7, the waters of the Jordan were cut off before what? Before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant. What did the Ark of the Covenant represent? Well, if you're here for our, our service last week, you recall from Pastor Steve that it represented the very presence of God, this ark did. And God was demonstrating to his people and to all generations that he was with them. And this is the very thing that God had to constantly remind Joshua of. And he was telling him repeatedly, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And this wasn't just true of Joshua, it was just true of all the people because of Joshua and through his leadership. This is what we are to remember. And it's not just a what. It's not just a historical act. It's not that, you know, God did a wonderful thing in the past and, you know, we were to reflect upon and remember the glory days of, of yesteryear. No, it's reminding us of a glorious present and a glorious future. Emmanuel, God is with us. He is indeed with us. And so it's not just about what. It's about who. And what's interesting is, if you read Joshua chapter 5, the passage or the chapter immediately following, it's interesting because after the memorial, there are two more things the Israelites do before they enter into the promised land. The first is the new generation is circumcised at Gilgal. 
And then they observe their first Passover in Canaan. So in the crossing of the Jordan, God showed them that he was with them. He showed them that he was with them. And then in the circumcision at Gilgal, God's people were now showing God and themselves. This was a sign that they were with him, just as God was with them. Then they observe the Passover, and something strange happens before the close of that chapter. In the last three verses, it says, um, we're told that an angel of the Lord appears to Joshua just before they're about to move into Jericho and make, begin their battles. But it's not just any angel. It's a commander of the Lord's hosts. And who is this angel? You know, Joshua bows down before him and worships him, and the angel doesn't stop him. This is a big, that's a big no-no for an angel. Unless, I'm convinced, this is an appearing of the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus himself, the Son of God. And before they go to take the promised land, I think God was showing them once again that he was with them, he was for them, and that also he would lead them. The promised land wasn't just a vacation. It's not like Club Med. They made it. Now they're good. They had a lot of battles in front of them. This was just the beginning. But God was reminding them that just as he was faithful to the old covenant to God's people, I think he wants to remind us that he's faithful to us. And the good news is we, we lay claim to a greater promise. We're partakers of the new covenant. And not only does it mean that God is with us and God is for us, but it also tells us that God is in us. He's living inside of us. And even the things that we forget, God brings to our remembrance through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the new covenant, which was inaugurated by Christ, and it's commemorated by the, by the Lord's Supper. And we're about to take communion. And in a moment, Pastor Steve will come up, and he's going to lead us in that time. But this is something that we do every month. It's so easy to take this for granted. But what a wonderful way, if you think about it, to remember, not just what God has done in the past, but the promise of what's to come in the future. This is the one act of worship where we engage all five of our senses. All five of our senses. And we consume something as mundanely physical as bread and drinks so that we might be reminded of what? Of a deeper spiritual reality. That God is with us. That God is for us. That God is in us. So let's bow our heads. Let's take a few minutes. The worship team comes up. We're going to sing a song as we prepare for communion. And as I said, Pastor Steve is going to lead us in a time of communion. And I want us to just do the work of just taking a few minutes and reflecting and remembering these things that the Lord desires that his people remember. He's for us. He's with us. He's living inside of us. If you are under and a partaker of the new covenant. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer before we continue in worship.